Uh, I was thinking this week that at, at different seasons in my life, different things, uh, you go through different seasons, like with your family and your children and things that are going on. And, and there's something that I really enjoy about this particular season right now. I most days, not every day, but most days I get to take my older two sons uh, to school. I get to drop them off in the morning. And so we have time in the car together. And so it's kind of us together in the car. And what we've been doing really for the last probably year and a half is we listen to podcasts. And so we put on different podcasts, uh, some from more of a Christian worldview. Some are just kind of big idea, news stories, worldview of the day, what's happening. And what I love about it is, is we get in the car and we turn those on. And usually, almost every day, we can't go more than five minutes before we're pausing it to talk about what's being said. And, and I'm asking them questions. And they're quick to... What's really been encouraging to me is they're the ones that are quick to ask questions and bring things up before I even ask. And so we've been pausing it and talking about those things. And so what I want them to see is, is to develop a biblical worldview, to see things from the lens of, of who we are in Jesus and what he's done for us and want them to see everything in that light. And so when we're listening and when we're going and we're having these questions, uh, are we having these discussions? And sometimes we're listening, like I said, to a Christian worldview, sometimes not. But I'm asking them questions like, well, what do you hear there? What do you think about that? And sometimes I'm greatly encouraged because they see things so clearly. They see things biblically in a lot of ways. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're asking questions that they're not quite seeing it. But I love that opportunity and that time together. And one of the reasons is simply this. In my lifetime, I'm 44 years old. In my lifetime, the definition of tolerance has greatly changed in our culture. Uh, 20 years ago, tolerance meant that we can disagree on a subject and we can agree to disagree. You'll tolerate my view and I'll tolerate yours and we'll continue to have discussion on what that looks like. In our culture today, tolerance has changed to be, if you disagree with my view, you're intolerant and I don't want to have anything to do with you. And so what happens is we become more and more divided we become more shallow in our understanding of things because we're not having those conversations. And so I see that time in the car with my boys as making sure they understand that we always want to be holding fast to the truth, but we always want to be having those conversations. We always want to understand why we believe what we believe. We always want to continue to grow in that. And if we don't, what happens is our culture has so gone the other way, this idea of if you don't agree with me and I don't agree with you, then I'm not going to talk to you and I'll be done with that. And we kind of become more and more divided. And that's all around us. And if we're not careful, we'll be conformed to our world. We'll start to operate the same way. And I'd say in the last year, uh, 2020, I've seen that a lot and it starts to kind of seep into the church. We start to be conformed to the way the world operates and we start to do the same things. We start to uh, engage with one another instead of really listening and loving people and having humility in those conversations. It's become more and more divided. And so if we're not careful, we too can fall into that. We can be swayed by our culture because this is what is all around us right now. And so I was thinking about just those conversations with the boys in the car and then what we're going to look at in Romans chapter 12 today. We're kind of turning a corner in Romans. We've been in Romans for a long time. But Romans chapter 12 starts a section like much of Paul's letters do, where he's just expounded this incredible theology and who God is and who we are in light of him. And he's talked about God's sovereignty and his faithfulness and how he's working and all these things. And then like he does in a lot of his letters, he gets to the end and he then begins to flesh out, well, what is it like? What does it look like to live this out? Kind of the practical application. 
This is what we've now said, and this is who we are, and this is what God has done. So how do we then live? And he's going to do just that in Romans chapter 12. And so as we get into Romans 12, really to the end of the book, he's going to be expounding on different aspects of our life and how we should then live given who we are in Jesus. And I'll talk about our relationship with one another, relationship to the world, to the government, to all these different things and how we should live in light of who we are in Jesus. And so today what we're going to do is just look at the very beginning of this. And he's going to give us a great big summary statement, big idea in 12, 1 and 2. And then he's going to start to kind of unfold what that looks like. And so what we're going to do today is we're really just going to look at the big idea of what he's calling us to. And then secondly, I want us to consider two things that are pitfalls that keep us from that. Two pitfalls that are here in the text that he's, he's kind of warning against that are kind of in the background there, but they're really important that we see. And then lastly, we'll consider just briefly how we begin to live that out. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to continue to push into that. How do we live this? And so let's start with the great big idea of what he says. And it's a big, big idea in chapter 12, verses one and two there. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so what he's really saying there, big idea, is the entirety of our life is supposed to be centered around who we are in Jesus and what God has done for us. That that's the, the big idea. It, it's really the similar to what we say here all the time about discipleship. We want to bring every area of our life under the lordship of Jesus. Every part of who we are, everywhere we go and everything we do and all that we are, we want to bring under the lordship of Jesus. We want to be living out of who we now are in Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. But before we kind of get into what he's saying and the way he's saying that, there's two kind of preliminary things I want to make sure that we see. And the first one is this. It's when we start to look at what, what we're called to, to, to center our entire lives around who we are in Jesus. The Bible calls us to this. Jesus says this. He comes and he walks on earth and he says, come to me and follow me. And he says, I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. And the thing I want you to see, just the first thing as we, we start in this, is why would we make our entire lives center around God? Why would we make everything center around who we are in Jesus? And the simple answer is that's the way you were created. You were made for this. And so Jesus says, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. He says, I came that your joy may be full, that you would be in me and your joy would be full. And he calls us into this. And what God is saying is, I have created you to love me first and then to have everything flow out of that. And when you do that, that's where your greatest joy will be found. This is not just duty or drudgery or this is what a good Christian does, but this is for your best. God wants your best. It's for your joy. It's for your life to live it to the fullness of what you were created for. And so, yes, we would be right to say in everything that we've looked at in Romans, uh, we are not our own. We belong to God. We've been created for him. He's the creator, the sustainer, and our redeemer. We have been bought with a price. We owe him everything. That is true. And that would be true to say, and that is true. But the other side of that that I want you to see is that when God calls us into it, there's a great joy that's found in putting him at the center. He wants your best. He loves you so much. He wants what's best for you. And what is best for you is to see him as the center of your life. 
But then the second thing, and this is so important as we get into this last section, as we get into practical application of what it looks like to now live, we don't want to forget everything he said in Romans to this point. And so notice right here at the beginning, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He says, by the mercies of God and everything that he said to this point, or you are saved by grace through faith in what Jesus has done for you. God has had mercy on you. He's given you that which you don't deserve. That he has come down and he has lived the life that we haven't lived and he's died the death that we deserve. And he's given us this relationship with him by what he does for us. And so I've said this over and over and over again in Romans. Saving faith is transferring your trust from yourself and what you're doing and your performance to Jesus and what he's done. And so Paul starts here with saying, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Don't forget everything that we've just said. Don't forget the foundation that's been laid through one through 11, that you are saved by what Jesus does, not your performance. Because otherwise we're going to start to talk about how do we then live and what does it look like? And we can easily slip back into that. Well, if God's going to love me and accept me, I've got to do all these things. And if we are to think that way, we've got it completely backwards. We are saved by grace through faith. And we now get to live this way in light of who we are in Jesus. And so we can't forget those first two things or everything else falls apart. But now think with me for just a second what he's saying here, what he's calling us to. And so he says we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And that idea of of a sacrifice, presenting yourself as a sacrifice. He he clarifies there a living sacrifice. Paul's audience, the idea of making a sacrifice and going to the temple, many would be familiar with that sort of thing. The idea that you'd come and lay an animal before the Lord, you would make your sacrifice. And as you're offering this as a sacrifice, you're giving it completely over to the Lord. I'm laying this at his feet. He is worthy. And he's saying, I want you to now do that with yourself. But it's not as a martyr that you're laying your life down, but he's saying, I want you as a living sacrifice to follow him, to give everything that you are over to who God is. And so, again, what we say when we talk about discipleship, bringing every area of our life under the lordship of Jesus, every bit of it. And so the problem, though, when we when we hear that or we start to functionally live that out or seek to live that out, what happens oftentimes in our culture, in the church in America, is God is part of our life. You go, well, what's wrong with that? He's part of my life. Yes. No, no, he's part. He's a he's a little sliver He's a part in the many things that I'm doing, right? Like uh, if you think of a, a, a wheel, right? Like a, a bicycle tire. It's got like a hub in the middle and a bunch of spokes off of it, right? And it's kind of like my, my relationship with God and my being part of a local church and my devotional time. Those are all spokes on the wheel. And then there's a whole bunch of other things. My job and my family and my entertainment time and my leisure and all those other things are part of it that are competing and oftentimes we live that way and we, we see all of those as, as important and they are important, but God becomes just a little part of the whole. And so what Paul's saying here and what he's calling us to is we need to have a, a recalibration that sees Jesus and who we are in him and what God has done for us is the very center that holds all things together. And so it's kind of like God is the, the hub of the wheel that holds everything. He's not part of just the out on the side. He's the whole. 
And everything else should flow out of that. And when it's not, when we miss that, quickly things can get out of, out of whack. They can start to be all sorts of problems that come in. We start to put other things above God, which is idolatry. We reorder where God is supposed to be central to everything. And he becomes kind of secondary in a lot of areas. And so that causes all sorts of problems, which, by the way, this is why we say this. Well, we say it because it's true, but it also helps to emphasize. But we say here that you don't go to church, you are the church. Right? We gather today as the church to worship God together. When you leave here, you're still the church. The Holy Spirit still indwells you. The holy of holies where God's glory dwells is in you. And that doesn't change when you walk out the door. So you don't go to church. The church is not something you add to your life an hour a week on a Sunday morning. It's who you are. When we miss that and it becomes one of the spokes on the wheel, something else kind of takes the center that's holding everything together. And God gets moved out of his rightful place as the center of our life, as the thing that holds everything together, as the thing that defines all of reality and it becomes something less. Oftentimes, in America today, the church ends up putting at the center, like the American dream, like that you can be successful and you can have lots of stuff and you can do all these other things. And that's the hub that holds everything together. And God's just a piece. And as soon as we start to operate that way, what happens is that then God is being used to help us get these other things. He's a means to an end rather than the end himself. And as soon as we do that, we've got it all wrong. We're being conformed to the world. We're starting to look like everything else around us. Uh, In 1 John chapter 2, he talks about not being conformed to the world. And he says, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. And oftentimes those are the things that we place right in the center and we use God to help us get those things. And what Paul is calling us to, what God is calling us to in his word here is to put him at the center, make him the hub of which everything else flows out of. And so he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, holy being set apart to God, making him the thing that is the center of your life and your being. And then he says, which is your spiritual worship? That word there, spiritual, spiritual worship that gets translated that way is actually kind of a rare word in the new testament it's only used twice and that phrase there spiritual worship really in a lot of ways means thoughtful worship and and what paul's calling us to is that we should be worshiping god in everything that we do and we should be thoughtful in the way we're doing it that we should be thinking through the reality of who we now are in jesus and how it affects and touches everything that all of our lives are worshiped to him All of it should be that way. And we should be thinking about what that looks like in everything that we do and everywhere that we go. And so if you if you read through and you think about what Scripture says about what happens when you become a believer, we sing it. We sing it all the time, like amazing grace. I was blind and now I see. And that's an image that we see in the Bible. That's used. This idea of if you were spiritually blind and then you come awake and you can now see. Or the Bible actually even says it uh, more starkly than that. You are spiritually dead and Jesus has caused you to become alive. 
And you can now see things in a way that you didn't see before because of the grace of God. God has had mercy on you. Kind of what Paul, not kind of what Paul is saying here by the mercies of God. This is now who you are and you can see. And so I was thinking about that, like vision and how we see. It's like you have new lenses. You put on glasses, you can now see. Right. Have you ever I, I had LASIK a long time ago, but I used to not be able to see at all. Right. Like I couldn't see the clock next to the bed. It was just like a glowing light, you know, like I couldn't read the numbers. And you get up and you would put your glasses on and then you go, oh, now I can see. There's this incredible thing that you went from not being able to see anything to make anything out to now you can see. And so in a very real way, God has done that in our life as we come to faith. He's opened our eyes to see him and see the reality of how things are, that he is the very center of all things, that we desperately need him and his grace in everything that we do. But what happens is we are inundated in the world in which we live constantly that that's not true. And so what happens is a lot of times is we take those lenses off and we set them down. And we go back to our old way of living. We go back to thinking and operating what the Bible calls in our flesh rather than the spirit. And we start to to operate that way. And so maybe we pick up the lenses and we put them on for an hour a week on a Sunday morning. Or maybe 10 minutes in the morning as we're hurried on our way out. Maybe every once in a while we stop to think and we ask God to meet us in the middle of this. And we start to see it for just a second, but then we take it back off and we let the world kind of flood over us in so many ways. But what Paul's saying is your spiritual worship, your thoughtful worship, is that everything in your life would be seen through this. That you would take those lenses and put them on. You would see everything through the glorious good news of who God is and what he's done for you in Jesus. And it would inform the way that you operate in everything. Your life and your work, worship, your family, your leisure, everything you do is an act of worship that sees God at the very center. And so when we begin to do that, instead of being conformed to the world, you're transformed by the renewal of your mind. And he says, in doing so, you're testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When God becomes the hub and I'm being transformed by the renewal of my mind, I'm seeing my life as an act of worship where he is the center of all things. It changes the way I operate. And that goes back to even where we started with what Jesus says. I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. When you're being transformed by the renewal of your mind, you're starting to see what is good and acceptable and perfect and what God has called you to. You're resting in who he is and what he's done rather than your own works. You're free to now love people rather than use them for means to an end. And that's where we start to follow him in all things. And so that's what he's calling us to. That's the big idea. And so the rest of Romans 12, he's going to start to flesh out, well, what does that look like? How do we do that? How do we live that out in the day to day? And so there's the big idea. We make him the very center. We're seeking to worship him in everything that we do, a thoughtful worship, presenting the entirety of who we are to him as a living sacrifice. But I want us to consider two things here that will quickly derail us from that. And it's kind of in the background of what he's saying here. But if you look, I think you see it. So look there at verse one. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? So he's pleading with them. See that this is the most important thing that you would offer yourself to God. Then verse two, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not be conformed to what the world says about everything. And I think what Paul's saying is that's a very real possibility. And that was happening in the church. 
I think it was happening in the church in Rome. And he's telling them, don't do that because that's a very real thing pressing in on you. And then if you, you skip down, and you look at verse nine and verse 11, which we're not going to look at today, but it helps us understand kind of the main thrust of what he's saying. He says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. He says, I want you to cling to this. What is good and what is true? Don't uh, play around with what is evil. Don't buddy up with sin. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. And then verse 11, he says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And so all those words, all that language there is this is this is an active thing. You hold fast. You be fervent in spirit. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That is to be thinking in all things. And he's calling us to continue to follow him. And so the first pitfall, I would say, is when we get into this idea that I'm now a believer and I'm now saved and now I'm going to coast. I'm going to float. Right. I'm saved by grace through faith. It's all Jesus. We can even make this sound pretty uh, uh, pious, pretty religious. I'm just going to rest in Jesus. But he's telling us that this is a daily thing to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that in everything you see it is your spiritual act of worship, thoughtful worship in everything. And as soon as we kind of start to float, what happens is there's no neutral you are being bombarded with messages at every turn. And if you're not thoughtful and you're not thinking through the lens of who you are in Jesus and what he's done for you and what God's word says, you will start to be moved by what is coming at you all the time. It's true in everything, right? Like there, there's no just kind of coasting. Like with exercise or, or your life or you go, okay, I'm going to exercise really hard and now I'm good. No, it doesn't work that way. Your body's winding down and over time, that doesn't work. I actually read an article just last week on uh, Steph Curry. If you know who Steph Curry is, he's an NBA player. He's won the MVP twice in the last like five years. And Steph Curry is now considered by many to be the best shooter who's ever played basketball. And, and you can back that up statistically. The guy's amazing what he does. But Steph Curry is 6'2", which by the way, in the NBA, that's really small. The average height in the NBA is 6'7". He's 6'2". 6'2", 170 pounds. So he's a little guy by NBA standards. And he's the best shooter who's ever lived. And he routinely scores 35, 40, 50. He scored 60 points in a game this year. And he's incredible. The shots he makes and what he does. And so I was reading this article about him. And they're talking about his success and how he's gotten to where he is. And he basically said, I do the same thing every day year round. I take one week off all year. And that's it. He does the same conditioning all off season and he never stops. And they said, why like this? And he said, because I know for me to be able to do what I'm doing, it takes this commitment. And so he goes through all these drills and all these things. I won't bore you with all the things he does. But at the end of practice, every day he shoots 103 pointers. That's what he ends with. He's known, he's the best three point shooter who's ever lived. I saw a video the other day. He does this every practice and he routinely makes between 95 and 100 out of 100. And so like a couple weeks ago, he did it and he made 107 in a row. He just stands there and he doesn't miss. And you watch it and you're like, how is that? It's possible because he's not floating. 
He didn't get to be a really good shooter and get to the NBA and say, I've made it and now I can just relax. And the truth is, as great as Steph Curry is, if he stopped doing all those things, he would go from making 107 to 90 to 80 to say it would start to fall off. There's no floating. And so when we think about our spiritual worship, what God has done for us, who we are in him, we owe everything that we are to his mercy to us. And so when he calls us into this act of spiritual worship, that we would be worshiping him in everything that we are and everything that we do. But when we kind of go, ah, Jesus is just part of my life. We let the world inform the way we live. What happens? We start to float and all of a sudden a fallen sinful world starts to crowd in. The deceitfulness of our heart quickly starts to take over. I'm good. I got this. We often start to think we're somewhere we're not. And so you are inundated with messages every moment of every day. And it doesn't mean that you bury your head and you don't see anything that's happening, but we're called to look at everything through the lens of what God, who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. And if we don't, what happens is it starts to move us. We start to be conformed to the world. I don't know if you're aware of this. It's kind of scary when you stop and think about it. But you are literally inundated with algorithms every single day in every device that you pick up. Advertisement, news, the things you see, all of it's curated. All of it is through complex algorithms, basically to get you to buy more stuff is what it's doing. It's a business. But you're constantly bombarded with messages. And if we're not discerning in the way we're thinking and the way we're operating and we're just consuming, all of that stuff is moving you very deliberately to a different place. And if we don't continue to do what he's calling us to do here, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, to have this spiritual worship, to not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, we will start to be conformed to the world. And so I I can't prove what I'm going to say here, but I think it's true. I think it's true in this passage. I think it's true in what I've seen in the last couple of years. But I think you will have a very, very hard time of having a really biblical worldview if you're spending more time watching cable news than you are in God's word. It's, it's not just the news. The same could be true if you're spending more time in Hulu and Netflix and n- not discerning, but just intaking letting this stand over you, then you are spending time seeking the Lord and what he's calling you to. Because it's filled with messages that are seeking to move you. And, it's, and, and I see that. I see people that I know that love the Lord, that I think are truly believers, and they turn the TV on and they have it going all day long. And it starts to change their worldview. It starts to change the way they operate. It starts to change. They start to say things that are biblically untrue. In 2020, I had so many people send me emails or send me things that were saying things that are clearly not what the Bible says. And it's because they're inundating their life with all these other resources and they're not thinking through the lens of the gospel. And I read it and go, how can a believer say this? This is the exact opposite of what the Bible says. And so we, if we're not doing what he calls us to, if we start to float, we start to just take in that information, quickly we will start to be conformed to the world. 
But then the second thing, and these go hand in hand together, is that if we're, we begin to float, but then if we begin to float, or even if we don't, even if we're seeking to follow the Lord, but we do it in isolation. Look at what he says in verses 3, 4, and 5. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not have all the same functions. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now, he's starting an argument that we'll pick up in two weeks after Easter. That's really important what he's saying. He's saying that all of us are gifted in different ways and we need each other. But I want to think just big picture on what he's saying there. As soon as we miss this, that we are one body and we are individually members of one another. Or if you go back and you read in context what he says at the very beginning, when he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Your bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular. That he's calling us together to do this. And the scripture says this over and over and over again. It's in so many passages, I say this frequently, but in all the one another passages in the New Testament, that we are called to live this out together, that it's not to be in isolation. Because what happens in isolation is we can quickly amplify our sin. And what I mean by that is we all have blind spots. Now, if you you take that we're floating and when we're floating, we usually are doing it in isolation and you put those two together and it's like it ramps it up. I'm floating along, I'm being inundated with what the world says and all these messages that are coming at me and then I'm trying to kind of work that out on my own. And I have huge blind spots. We all do, I do too, all of us. There's areas that we're not seeing fully and so God has designed us to be in a community of believers together to speak the truth to one another. To say, hey, I think you're missing it there. Do you know what the scripture says here? And you go, oh yeah. One of the things that I ask regularly of our elders, of pastors that are friends throughout 2020, as we were trying to make sense of everything that was happening, I probably said this a hundred times. What am I missing? What talk to me about what I'm missing and how we should respond to this. And what happens is different people from different backgrounds and different things, see things a little different and they go, well, have you thought about this? And you're like, no, I haven't thought about that. I need you to speak into my life like that. And so God calls us to do that together. And so when we don't, when we start to float and then we do it in isolation, it becomes detrimental for so many reasons. One is that we have lots of blind spots. Two, we need to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged of who we are in Jesus. What is true of us? All our sins stems from unbelief. And we start to believe things that are not true. And we need our brothers and sisters to go, no, no, that's not what God says. That's not who God is. Be reminded of the good news of who God is and the way he loves you and the way he's working. And we need that. We all need that. But there's also just the simplicity of we're not living in what we were created for. We were created to live in community together. God saves us into a family of faith. What we'll talk about as we go further into Romans, God saves us into a family of faith and he gifts us all differently for the good of those around us. The gifts he gives you are not for you, but for your brothers and sisters. 
And if you go off and say, I'm going to do this in isolation, you're robbing your body of the gift that God's given you, but you're also missing all the gifts that are around you that you too need. And when you put those together, what happens is we can easily be conformed to the world rather than be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And so we need one another in that. We need Jesus as the center in community working that out together. And so the very last part, we're going to end not on the negative of those two, but I want us just to think about what does it look like then to begin to make steps into this. And so verse two says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Hebrews five says something very similar. It says you've become dull of hearing. You've forgotten the most important things. And then it talks about being trained in constant practice in the word of righteousness that we take everything through the lens of God's word. And we begin to seek him in those ways. We want to hear from God and let him stand over everything we do. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by taking everything and holding it up to the revealed will of God. Let him stand over everything. A little later in in verse 12, he's going to say, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. And so letting God's word stand over you, but then talking to God about everything. And so beginning in those, we always say that, spend time in God's word. Are you allowing God's word to stand over you? Are you taking all these other things and investing all your time there? And then you don't have time for that. And then the last part I would say to you, just as we're starting into this, is be involved with other believers. Be in community. Who is speaking into your life? Who's saying to you? Who, who, who has the freedom to speak the truth and love to you? Who have you invited in to do that? We all need that. And so if we're floating and we're not doing that, that's a, that's a, a recipe for disaster. But to call, to be called into this thing that God's called us to, we need others. We need God's word to stand over us. And I'll just end with this. We'll end here this morning. The reason is because it's going to be better. God knows the way he created you. He knows what you're made for. He wants you to have life and have it abundantly. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of what you've done for us. I pray that as we consider what it means to be a a living sacrifice, uh, to be transformed and not conformed to this world, I pray that we would begin each day in in worship, in, in seeking you and letting your word stand over us. I pray that we would invite people, brothers and sisters in the faith, into our life to speak truth to us, to walk with us, to encourage us, to correct us, that we would have the freedom and understanding that we are saved not by our performance but what Jesus has done for us, that your grace would open us to to live in that freedom of loving one another and speaking truth and caring for each other. We pray that we would make you the very center of everything in our life. Uh, We thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.